I don't like this man very much. I need to get to know him better. Mm. You know, it's it's counterintuitive. A lot of times we we push away from those people that we seem to are challenged by. You know, we don't take the time to listen to them, to understand them, to understand what challenges they have, what they're going through. Get to know the person. The first step of, of leadership is to build relationships. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. Have you ever had a bad boss? Yes, of course you have. The person who gets rid of them? My guest today, leadership guru, Dr. Gary McGrath. In last week's episode, Dr. Gary and I grappled with why we get so many bad bosses. We discussed what the billion-dollar leadership and training industry gets wrong— And then we began to explore the solution, what actually works so bad bosses can be turned into great leaders. In today's continuation episode, Dr. Gary and I roll up our sleeves. We do a 360 dive, how he coaches a bad boss who doesn't realize they're bad, and then how he coaches the people around the bad boss, your peers, your direct reports, and yes, even the boss of the bad boss. As Dr. Gary says, brace yourself. I waste no time opening our conversation, challenging his statement that humility is the number one leadership trait. His response, listen in. Gary, humility. I agree with you that it is what we want to see in our leaders. Reality is most of the leaders we get or we select are not modest and humble people. Take many of the world leaders right now. Take many of the brash CEOs out there. Now, I'm not saying that they're the best, but they are the ones who tend to rise. And a lot of what my coaching is about is helping actually very humble, hardworking, smart people who you know develop their emotional intelligence, but they get blocked on their way up because they're too deferential, they're too humble, while other people burn past them. How do we make sure from your perspective, how humble, modest people actually get to those positions. You can lead from all over your organization, but I would argue there is a lot of positional power and impact you can make at the top. We're not seeing a lot of those humble people. They get selected out. <laughs> your perspective on, on this. Well, I, I, think, I think you're right in some ways, and we work with all leaders in the organization. When you look at an organization of 1,000 people, and there might be positions for 100 people that are in leadership positions. But the only one that we see is the CEO, or we see the you know vice president of marketing, and they might not be the uh, ideal. 
but the public persona that these CEOs have is not who they are. You know, so my, my next book I'm going to be writing, I'll share with you the title of it, and uh, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. It's going to be called The Invisibility of Great Leadership. When you see great leaders, when they're, when they're in a public eye, we don't see that very often because we don't see all of the things that go behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use the, my, the best example I can think of that's a public leader is Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. You know, and people, a lot of people may not know him. Certainly internationally, they wouldn't know him. But if you ever go up on, go on YouTube and just look up Bel, Bill Belichick, you know, head coach of New England uh, Patriots uh, football team, NFL football team, and listen to him speak. He's terrible. You know, you sit there and you go, well, this guy, he's just like, who wants to listen to him? But yet he has successful winning teams year after year after year after year after year with these, these professional football players. They have huge egos. How does he do that? Well, it's the invisibility of little things. I guarantee there's a time when he's in the hallway and he runs past his, you know, uh, uh, captain of the defensive team, a linebacker, you know, this big, huge man, right? And he, ha- and he talks to him. You don't ever see that. You don't see the conversation he has in the locker rooms. You don't see the conversations that he uh, motivates people in his office, that 10-minute conversation. We don't see that. So the public persona is there for a reason. They're trying to create a press message, a media message, a message of strength, okay? And we also have to understand that humility and modesty, it's a matter of degree. There has to be a, enough degree where they will listen, where they will hear the perspective of other people's on their team. You don't see that. They're in a, in a staff meeting and, and they're asking for input from their staff and they're listening to that input and they're making a collective decision. And then they stand up in front of the media and they're like, you know, we're going to do this and they look strong. And you don't see the real human being behind the scenes. Are there a lot of them? that lack humility and modesty? Yes, and I won't work with them because they won't listen to me. They won't listen to anybody, okay? (laughs) And what you're gonna find is nobody can be right all the time. Nobody. Right, right. So what you see eventually with people that that, that have no humility or modesty or anything like that, they're eventually gonna crash and burn. You know, and people will hold up, you know, the Elon Musks and the Steve Jobs of the world. And, you know, were they modest? Were they, uh, do they have humility and everything? Probably not. But they're, they're a horrible example because they're geniuses. They're absolute geniuses. They're on another planet. <laughs> they're horrible. Okay? We, we get a lot of them, though, right? We, we, we do. And I, I think that that's why when we talk about leadership, we say leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And when you have a CEO or if you've got a vice president that is a challenge for you and you're not able to get the things done for you, you say, okay, so what are your choices? What can you do about it? You're a leader. What are you going to do about it? Can you, uh, can you live with it? Are they doing anything that's immoral, unethical, or illegal? Mm-hmm. And they go, well, no. I said, all right, then they have a different perspective. You're getting paid a paycheck. You're going to have to live with it until you get there. Mm-hmm. And then you can do a different thing. Right. And people don't want to have the patience to put up with that. But quite, quite frankly, we've all had to put up at times for, with a bad boss. And, and you just kind of bite your tongue and you live with it for a while and you see what happens. I know right now, I know a COO 
I'm sorry, CFO. He's a chief financial officer for a company that I work with that worked for a bad boss for like 15 years, wow. 15 years. And he said, I was just hoping that someday I'd get a good boss. And the boss that he has now, she is a superstar. This man walks in the door for the last 10 years with a smile on his face. Now, I don't know if I could have lasted. I give a lot of respect for anybody that could live with that for 15 years, okay? But sometimes you just have to wait it out. That is certainly a strategy. Uh, that's a tough one for most people. <laughs> it is. But, th but this goes into the heart of you know, our conversation here of how you get rid of a bad boss. And, and I want to dive into this because it is what you do. Now, again, you did say you select who you will work with. But right off the bat, I mean, when you say you get rid of them, that, that sounds very Jack Welch, right? Or, or to update that kind of Elon Musk. There is the other part of, you know, the compassionate accountability that you bring up, but what makes you different? Because when you say kind of, I get rid of them, it sounds very neutron. It does. <laughs> and, it does. And, and I, I said, look, I get rid of bad bosses by making them good bosses and great leaders with compassionate accountability. It's a development process. And as I said, most bad bosses are bad because they haven't been developed. Mm. We develop them. And then we help, we have so many of these people say, look, you know, you, you go through the program and say, well, how did you like the program? Oh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I like being a manager. Oh, well, what would you like to do? Well, I'm really good at this or that. You know, I've, I've, I've moved people out of positions of leadership because I'm like, I convinced them, you're, you're, not, you're not made for this. You're not, are you happy? No. What are you happy to, what could you do here? It's identifying the mismatch. So, so Gary, I thought it would be interesting here. You know, obviously we're not going to be able to replicate the training and the intense follow-up and, and, and you know, peer accountability and programs that you developed. But just to take a quick 360 view of, hey, if there is a bad boss in the organization, what you as a coach are looking for or some of the levers by which we fix that, right? Obviously, they're, they're bringing you in to make change and, and make it preferably more quickly than slowly. I mean, to start with the bad boss themselves, most people out there, sad to say, probably don't realize that they're part of the problem. How do you get them to realize that? Or is there a way that gets people to look in the mirror? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways. One of the most effective ways, you do a 360 degree leadership assessment, you know, and you get feedback for them. And there's a, uh, a tool that we use that I really like that's different than all the other tools that are out there because it, it assesses their leadership effectiveness within the culture of that organization. It's like a minus three plus three scale. And it says, you're, you know, you got too much or too little of this behavior or this thing. And you get everybody's opinions on that and you get an understanding of where they fit within that culture. What I don't like about most leadership assessment tools is it's on like a one, point, one to five scale. It gives you, you know what, Michael, you're a 4.2 on the communication scale. For your level, you should be at 4.5. So you're a little below average. You need to work on that. Well, that's complete BS because it's not contextually appropriate for you. You may be communicating perfectly within that organization. People go, no, Michael's fine. Mm. He does a great job within. You're very effective. Not too much, not too little. You're right there. So the first thing I'd say is an assessment around us because we all have blind spots. Yeah. No matter who we are, we've got blind spots. We've got strengths and limitations, okay? We want to live in a world where we can maximize our strengths, avoid our limitations, and then learn our blind spots so that we don't do things without a conscious intent, okay? 
So first thing might be a 360. The second thing is ask, ask people around you. You know, people, I, I have several people that I coach now. I says in your annual performance review, one of the things we're going to make sure you do is you're going to ask your people for a performance review. Mm. Let's get their perspective. If you've got some people that you can see some trends in that they say you're not doing well at this, this is where the humility comes in. You know, it says, you know, Michael, every time we go to a staff meeting, you talk half the time, you know, and we only get to talk half the time and, it, we're, and we're supposed to be balanced in, in the way we do. Can you like kind of stop talking so much? So we get some of that feedback, right? And you go with humility, you go, well, I got a lot, I got a lot to say. I've got, you know, we've got things to do. And, uh, you know, that's the only way we can get the information across it, but, you know, and you can defend it or, <laughs> or you could say, all right, how can I get information out that I need to get out in another way where I'm not talking 50% of the time? What are my options? Mm. Okay. Mm. And you might not have even known. You're like, really? I'm talking 50% of the time? Yeah. You go to everybody. Am I really talking 50%? Yeah. Oh, oh. Okay, I didn't, most people are not aware of their behaviors. They're unconscious yeah. and without feedback, okay? And then without that humility to at least hear what they have to say so that you can decide whether you wanna do something with it or not. That's, that's part of the whole thing that, you know, we started with, you know, listening in the beginning, but it requires a mindset of humility so that I can leverage my strengths, understand my limitations and hear where I can improve some of my blind spots. Right, so it's identifying and then focusing on those areas in the work together. Yep. You know, also as we kind of take this up, and usually I know when you go in first, you're, you're, you're talking with the CEO of the head of the organization, the one who makes a lot of the decisions. In my experience, many of them actually, you know, will bring in coaches, they know where the problems are. And in fact, that's often why they do want some external voice, but they want someone to do it. And a lot of times I think actually they're, they're not stepping up to the plate in a way kind of abdicating their own power. Could you talk about this? Because I feel like to bring in the coach to do the axing is first of all, puts you in a very difficult position as a coach. But is this in your experience what some of the bosses of the so-called problem individuals have? And, and what do you do about it? Well, so there, there's kind of two sides of that. One is, is, is the CEOs that are trying to avoid those tough decisions. And I, I, I work, uh, I've got a client now that I'm, I've been working with for a few years. And because of COVID and other things that have gone on coming out of COVID, their company has really struggled. And the, especially their uh, VP of sales was not able to make the adjustments necessary to face the challenges. And for two years, I've been saying, you need to replace her. You, you need. You just need to get somebody else that can look at this world differently. Just very. This person was resisting. They didn't want to change anything. Results kept going, getting worse and worse and worse. When I met with the CEO and the COO, after they made the decision to finally hire somebody else, uh, a couple of months ago, they said to me, "Man, we waited way too long. Right. We should have done this sooner." And I say, "Okay." So what have you learned? I say, well, in this experience, we've learned that when we're at the point where we know we need to make a change, we need to pull the trigger, we need to make that change. Yeah. And I'm like, good. All right, so you've, you've learned that. Because in the meantime, you've hurt the organization for two years. And I'll say it that way. Mm -hmm. you know, Like, look, I'm sorry, but I was telling you two, two and a half years ago, you needed to do this. And 
I'm one of the things I always say, Michael, to people I'm working with, I'm going to tell you my opinion. I'm, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm going to give you my perspective so that you have another perspective for forefront. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I will give you a perspective in a very strong tone because I've got 40 years of business experience. I've seen this over and over and over again. And then what I'll do the next time I have a CEO that says, oh, I don't know whether I should fire this person. I'm saying, you know what? I need you to call this CEO, talk to them, understand their experience and what they went through. And maybe they can convince you what I'm trying to convince you to do to make the decision. So that's one of the things that I run into. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But there, the, the other part of it is, is when a CEO comes in and says uh, to me, yeah, I got, this, I got this guy, Michael. I'm not so sure about him. You know, can you coach him? Coach, help me coach him up or coach him out. I'm like, sure. Yeah, let's see what we got here. Okay. And I say, are you uh, willing to sit down with the, with the two of us, uh, the CEO, that you, you, me and Michael, and, and tell Michael why I'm here. I'm here to coach you up or coach you out. And he goes, yeah, okay, let's do that. So the objective is clear. Mm. All right. We're going to make you a good boss or you're going to move on. Okay. And I'm going to do the assessments, do the emotional intelligence, the judgment index. We're going to go through and understand strengths. We're going to do all the things that we typically do in a coaching session. We're going to write a personal mission statement so you know what you stand for, what's important. I've had executives write a personal mission statement for the first time, Michael. And when they're finished with it, they look at me and they go, I'm in the wrong job. This is not what I want to do. I'm here for the money only. And that's not the right reason. And I can't live my life the way I want to live my life and be me and continue to do this. So just by going through the process that I take people through, they come to that realization themselves about half the time. Hmm. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Dr. Gary, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I want to make one point here around coaches. Within the coaching, executive coaching field, there's a, a lot of disagreement on, do coaches give advice? And I think there are those who are kind of purists and say a coach never gives advice. I do believe it's actually unethical if you've got experience and expertise to withhold an observation or opinion. Well, that's why you go into it. You want to be clear as a coach going into it, what kind of coach you are, okay? If you're a coach that's going to help them make their own decisions and take them there and say, look, I'm going to work on your mindset and do all this stuff, but uh, I'm not going to give you any business advice. I, that's not why I'm here. And the and the executive, oh, okay. For me, you're, you're getting a double package. I've got 40 years of business experience. I've got a doctorate in business. I've got an MBA. I've got an engineering degree. I've worked in technology and and. Uh, manufacturing in the military. And I said, I got a lot of experience that whatever you throw at me, I've probably been there. And to your point, I never thought of it that way about it being unethical, but I just can't help myself. Look, I'm going to give you my opinion because I think that's a part of the value I bring. I'm a coach consultant and I'm going to bring my opinion and I'm going to tell people, let's make sure, Michael, anything I tell you, let's make sure that we understand something. If you decide to take my perspective on this, that's your decision. Correct. Don't never come back to me and say, well, you told me to. No, 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 I'm not telling you anything, all right? Let's get really, really clear. The other thing that I do is uh, I'm not gentle. I mean, I, I try to be kind, but not gentle. You know, if I see something in you and you're going down a path 
And I'm going to say, I, I always have this, uh, it's from uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Brace yourself. Okay. So Michael, I'm about to tell you something. I'll tell people in, in my coaching sessions, if I say brace yourself, I'm about to tell you something you probably don't want to hear, but you're going to hear it from me because as I always say, as a, as a coach consultant, I have the opportunity to tell you things that other people are afraid to tell you. And I get to get fired every day. And if you fire me, I don't care. You can fight that you have that choice. Every one of my contracts says you can release me at any time for any reason. You just have to tell me what it is. If you don't like where we're going, fire me. I don't care yeah. because I've got five or six other people I'm working with and they do care and we're making progress. And all I care about is your development, your future and your happiness. And most executives are not happy. Yeah. As an executive coach, I will add that I very much talk to the client and say, you know, you're still, you're driving the car, right? I may be the vehicle that's supporting you, helping illuminating and challenging you when it's appropriate, but you make the decision of which way you want to drive the car or where we're driving it to. Gary, we've talked about two positions, the individual who's the, the bad boss or wants to become the better boss and the person above them. Those who are peers or beneath them in the organization, starting with, with peers, and you were coaching them about how to deal with this bad, toxic boss who's, who's causing problems. In, in a lot of ways, they have no choice but to work with them. What's the, the, the coaching and things for them to think about of dealing with the bad boss? Well, I'm going to go to two things. Number one, our definition of leadership, which is the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassionate accountability. So leadership starts with building relationships. I'm going to use Abraham Lincoln's quote. He said, I don't like this man very much. I need to get to know him better. Mm. You know, it's, it's counterintuitive. A lot of times we, we push away from those people that we seem to are challenged by, you know? We don't take the time to listen to them, to understand them, to understand what challenges they have, what they're going through, get to know the person. The first step of, of leadership is to build relationships. What steps are we taking to get to know that person? Are we... You know, I, I tell uh, executive teams that are struggling sometimes, I say, how many times have you gone out to lunch with each other? Go have a beer, right. okay? Hang out a little bit, get to know each other, get to know your families, you know? And then at least we can, we can respect each other's position, hear it, and then argue about it. But we can do it respectfully and not take it, you know, not think it's personal. Because if people style sometimes, we take it personally. And they, they might not mean it that way, now, are there people out there that are Machiavellian, you know, that, that are trying to undermine everybody else so that they look better? Yeah. So I want to, you know, that's they say, get close to your enemies, stay real close to your enemies, right? So you, you better get to know those people, you know, and understand their motivations so that you can prepare yourself and defend yourself, okay? One of the things that's really, really important, I think, and, and I know the work that you do with, with politics, and it's a, a gray area that a lot of people don't like to talk about. There's three types of people in an organization that you build relationships with other than your normal hierarchy. You have coaches, mentors, and sponsors. All right, so we mentioned, we talked about coaches. You have an outsider, an inside coach that helps you make better decisions, maybe gives you some advice once in a while. You've got a mentor, okay, who could be inside the organization or, or outside. If they're inside, they're not part of your chain of command. They're removed from you because they don't really have any skin in the game. They're just giving you advice. They're kind of helping you figure things out in life and at business. 
And then there's a sponsor within the organization. A sponsor is somebody that is interested in your well-being in the organization. And they might be a level or two levels above you. And you've developed this relationship. They see some talent in you. And that talent, they want to utilize that talent for their own improvement, but also yours. So when they kind of move around the organization, you move with them. That's a sponsor. So it's important, I think, a lot of times to have certain levels of sponsors within an organization when you have that kind of thing happening. Mm. Build relationships with people above you, one or two levels above you. Really, really important. So that if you've got somebody that's trying to torpedo you and you have this sponsor, they're going to defend you. Yeah. Because you know when you're when when that executive meeting is being held for a promotional consideration, you're not in that meeting. There's nothing you can do about it. So you want that sponsor in there, helping you get that promotion, helping you get that new position or that new, new opportunity. And when somebody brings up the person that was trying to torpedo you, your sponsor can go, "Wait a minute." It's got the full. <laughs> and story, they'll defend right? you. They'll get the full story. It, but you're not ever going to have a voice to defend yourself in those situations. It's reality in organizations, right? As you say, there are those who are Machiavellian and they may not get ousted and you're gonna have to find ways to work with them. And a lot of times I think people don't look at the fact, oftentimes we're set up by our objectives to be in competition, right? Classic sales and marketing. Get me the sales today, build the market over the long term. And so if you can separate, you know, things, external things that may be putting us what appears to be in opposition, you can start to break that down, but it does start with, building that relationship, have lunch with people. Well, yeah, it's, and it starts with one of those two people going to and say, Michael, you're in marketing, I'm in sales. Listen, let's, let's go have lunch. You know, how can we win together? Yeah. How can we balance this together and make the, what's the best decision for the organization? Understand that I know that our compensation might be affected by this, but if you and I can get aligned Okay, so one year you might get 100% of your bonus and I get 30% because I didn't do do well in sales and the next year it's flip-flopped. What if we could work together and get 70% every year? I mean, you know, and and actually make more money together and figure that out, so. Right, thinking about it as as win-win. So to complete this circle on the 360, heading to the person who's probably suffering the most, which is a direct report. (laughs) (laughs) feeling the brunt of the bad boss and whatever dimension that would be. And they're probably in the toughest position to influence that particular individual directly. Obviously, they have choices of things they can do. What's the advice and coaching there for for someone who's underneath a bad boss, aside from (laughs) calling up Dr. Gary, my, my, my boss needs a coach? Think of it as an opportunity to develop your, really hone your skills. You know, you say, oh, okay, I got a bad boss. Okay, find one, some little victory that you can create with that boss and see if you can do it. Mm. And if it doesn't work, try something else and try something else and try something else. Because what you're going to do is you're going to find out that by having that mindset, you're going to improve your skills. If you do that and you have a sponsor, so you don't have to worry about it, you've got some hope that you're not going to be out the door, okay? Then do your job, all right? Build relationships, peers, your boss's peers and a sponsor, if you do all those things, then you, you have a pretty good foundation that your future is going to be solid and, and, and you're going to be okay. And then a lot of the little things that your bad boss, quote unquote, is putting you under, then you, you put up with some of it. Now, if they're abusive, I mean, absolute, if they're absolutely abusive and expecting things out of you that you think is not, not right or against company policy or anything, you go to HR. Yeah. 
You know, you fight for yourself. Look, if life is that bad, the worst that can happen, or maybe the best that can happen is you get fired. Go get another job. Start planning for your future. Look at the other opportunities. So the, the thing about what we want to look at when we're in those situations, are, are we suffering or are we struggling? And if I've got a bad boss and I'm, I'm, I'm suffering, like maybe it's suffering with my family because they're making me work 24-7. I'm, I'm never home. That would, that's suffering. That is hurting my, my health, my family, and everything else. That, you don't put up with that. But if you're struggling because you're working 10, 12 hours a day, but you got the weekends off, but you're trying to learn some new things, then there's a struggle. Learn new skills. Figure out a way to work around that. Learn to develop some relationships so that you see some hope into the future by getting that sponsor, by working with your peers, and so on. All right. But it's just like our children. You don't want your children suffering, but you do want them struggling. Don't deny your children the struggle of growing up. It's a struggle. Don't deny them that. You know, making it easy is not what parenting is about. And I I say this all the time being a parent is the most important leadership position that we have. All right. We don't want to have our children have it easy. We want them to struggle so that they learn how to live how to engage other human beings, how to do something well, how to work hard. That's really what we want our children to learn is how to work hard and put in the effort so that they can use the strengths and the talents and knowing that no matter how good they are, that they're gonna have to work hard at that talent, at that strength in order to make it world-class if that's where they're headed with it. It's a struggle. It's not suffering. Yeah. We don't want our children suffering. Very important distinction and, and one that I think a lot of people can ask themselves when they're frustrated in the organization, right? First, how do I flip this and maybe learn from the situation? I, I was always told, I think it was great advice from my father, when I complained about a boss is, well, what can you learn from that? Guess what? Yes. One day you're probably going to be in that position and you're probably going to make some of the same mistakes. So thinking about how we can learn from it, but certainly not putting up with total nonsense, unethical behavior that would be suffering. Build yourself multiple options. Dr. Gary, we did this 360 view. I think it was awesome to hear your perspectives on that and some of the the strategies and tips people should be thinking about. Anything else you just want to add as we close this topic on getting rid of the bad boss? Uh, yeah, let's do three or four more podcasts so that we can really <laughs> dig into this. <laughs> what's the what's the headline you want to add here? To- <laughs> well, I, I I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I think that like all things, it's really kind of interesting. I think I'll end it with this. When I talk about my Leadership 7 program, the first step in the process is selection. And we all, all talk about you know hiring the right person. We want to hire the right person. And we don't do the right kind of assessment to promote the right person. Mm. And only, as I said, only about 30% of the population have the talent, the raw talent to be leaders. Why not assess that? Does, do, can the person be developed? Do they have a little bit of modesty and humility? Do they have the raw material there and emotional intelligence and judgment to make good decisions? And if they have that, then let's develop them to be good leaders and great leaders. So I, I guess let's take the same approach to promoting people into positions. Mm. And I always say this, I'll I'll end it with this. I said, if you want to find somebody that would be most effective, like on your sales team, you got top sales guy, the bottom salesperson, you got the people in the middle, find the person that's average Mm. on the sales team that has maybe average, a little above average. Don't, Don't promote the best salesperson. 
It never, almost never works. <laughs> right, very different right? talent to be a sales Because they're going to tell the whole team how to do, how to sell. This is how I sell. This is how successful. No, you get the person that's mediocre with high emotional intelligence and good judgment and put them in the sales manager's position. Mm. And here's what their opening statement to the whole team is going to be. It's not going to be, all right, I'm going to teach you how I did it and how I was successful. They're going to go, uh, I don't know why they promoted me, but uh, I'm here to help. Uh, what do you need? Mm. Totally different. Yeah. Flipping it, questioning, and then yep. listening and drawn from the team. And they'll be for service, not to direct and dictate how to sell. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love that, Gary. How do people best reach out to you, see your work, engage with you or the Staterians, I believe you call them? Yeah, my Staterians. We've got about you know eight of us that do this great work with the Leader Step 7 program and the coaching. Staterius.com is the easiest way. My email address is Gary, G-A-R-Y at Staterius, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. We already know that everybody should know this Latin word by the time we're finished here. And I'm on LinkedIn and I have a website. You can get a hold of me multiple ways, but just email me, Gary at Staterius.com. Dr. Gary, CEO of Staterius. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Always a pleasure, and I can't wait to see you next year. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com.